Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hey there. Before we jump in today, I want to tell you about my Conscious Confidence course. It is a one-of-a-kind online course that teaches women physicians and really anyone, any woman, man, whatever, any human, how to overcome self-doubt, rumination, and worry about other people's opinions so you can finally enjoy your career, feel confident, and find balance. And what this course essentially is, is months and really years of all of the knowledge that I learned about how to really cultivate true and lasting confidence. And this took me a lot of practice on myself and practice teaching it to others to really hone in on how to make this as simple and actionable as possible. So when you get access to the course, you're going to have the ability to watch the videos as needed in any order that you want. It's really bite-sized videos that will help you to take what you need when you need it. And this is going to help you be confident no matter what goes on at work or at home. And you're going to gain the skills that you need to leave work at work. And what this is going to create for you is real balance in your life and no more dread. So get this course. It's really required for anyone who is just done being led by self-doubt. And after this course is done, you are going to be amazed at how different your life is when you are leading with confidence. You can find it at www.consciousinmedicine.com forward slash course, or just click on the show notes page to take you there. All right. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Karen Leitner is a primary care physician and an experienced life coach for women doctors. She helps her clients feel better and be happier in their lives by overcoming imposter syndrome and empowering them to overcome work-life overwhelm, parenting and relationship challenges, and all the other joy kills so common to women physicians. You can find her active on Instagram at Karen Leitner, MD. Enjoy. Hi, Karen. I'm so glad we're finally doing this. <laughs> so I did your intro, I did your bio at the beginning. So people know a little bit about you. You kind of, you know, do what you're doing medicine and you have your own business and, and coaching and all of the things. So when it, we bring up the topic of self-doubt and imposter syndrome, like what's the first thing that came to mind when you thought about your experience with that? I think what came to mind is that I don't, it's only been very recently that I've even identified that that's something that I live, have lived. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I just always thought that's just fact. That's just reality. Like when my brain would tell me you didn't, you don't examine the patients as well as you should or something <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're, you should be percussing every heart or whatever. Like, I just don't even think I identified that. I, I just believed a lot of those thoughts. So that's been my experience with imposter syndrome. It's like, even, you know, things like public speaking or, or even going back maybe to high school, just being afraid to raise my hand and speak out and think that I didn't have something meaningful to contribute when looking back, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I I would have that um, inner, inner voice. That's like scared to be seen. Yeah. And I think that's a common theme for pretty much everyone I talk to. And for me as well, certainly is this idea that 
we just kind of think that the thoughts we think are factual and that most of them are negative. And that's just kind of, that means there's something inter- like inherently wrong with us. Right. Do you remember a circumstance where you were able to like in the moment separate this dialogue of like the inner critic and then realize that you didn't have to believe it? Well, I think for me, what comes up when you ask that is sort of like the intersection of when I learned about coaching and really was mm-hmm. able to apply some of those tools in my own life. But I was in a position where I didn't feel very valued. And I was sort of looking at myself through the lens of how my perceived mean employers were seeing me. And I would just sort of spend time thinking about the ways that they saw me or the ways I thought they saw me. And it just sort of this light bulb went off and I had a thought of like, oh, but I'm, I'm a diamond. Like I'm wonderful. Right. It just hadn't occurred to me that I could just decide that I get to decide like my value and how Mm -hmm. good I am and how worthy I am and not someone else when they're interviewing me or when they're deciding if they want to give me benefits or not. It's like, oh, I get to decide. Mm-hmm. That's what comes up. Yeah. I love that you brought up this idea of value and perceived value, especially when it comes to our physician employment. I think probably for you too, but this comes up for a lot of the women that I coach. And you probably hear the similar theme is that my, my employer doesn't value me or I don't feel valued. And that, cre- and that thought that's, a, you know, a T line situation creates a feeling of resentment or sadness or, or anger, all of these things. How do you work that out for yourself? And for maybe the women who you work with to dis- like make that distinction of they're entitled to their opinion about your value, but it's not based in reality. Yeah. It's such a great question. I mean, I, I almost feel like it's just a decision you make to decide I get to determine my value. And if someone else doesn't see it, then I just get to allow them to be wrong about me. Mm -hmm. I think it is, it is a challenging concept to teach in coaching because like, what do you mean? Like this is, so I also think there's a distinction between like your, your worth, like your worth as a human being or your worthiness versus like your, your, financial value to an institution, you might only, they might only be willing to pay you X amount. That still doesn't mean that's what your value is. Like you get to decide if you want to accept that or not. If you stay and you accept it, then you are agreeing with them. If you decide to look elsewhere, like you, I think you get to own the decision of what you think your value is. Yeah. Did I answer your question? (laughs) Yeah. And I I have the same difficulty with, because I feel the same way. It really was for me, like every, for every kind of pivot with, with regard to my own journey, it's always just been ultimately my, my willingness to decide differently. And it sounds so simple, but it's, I, it's not easy for sure. It does take practice. So do you have any advice for those people who are like, okay, like I'm going to decide that I'm confident or worthy, but it feels like, delusional at first, or people are like, I don't, it just feels weird or awkward. Like, what do you do in that intersection of, I don't quite believe it yet, but I'm wanting to get there at some point. Well, I think I acknowledge the discomfort is a sign of growth. Like it's supposed to feel uncomfortable because it's new and it's different. So it doesn't mean anything's gone wrong. I think sometimes in coaching, we try to offer the tool of like, well, imagine you were that person who was already in that title, making all that money, how would she feel? Right. And like, can you put yourself into that future version of you when you, when it doesn't feel so weird? Um, And then honestly, sometimes I have to like 
involve the patriarchy because I think as women, it, even as an example, like before I created my coaching business, you know, we want to be perfect. We want to a hundred percent be able to do the thing and to be able to say like, (laughs) we're like, well, I've never led the head of a department. So I guess maybe how do I know I'm qualified to lead a department? It's like, it doesn't work that way. You, you rise into that role. You have Mm -hmm. to believe you can do it before you actually do it. And so for coaching, like there was, you know, a a well-known male coach in our, in our universe who just like launched a business. And I was like, well, if he can do it, why can't I do it? Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's like, recognizing that some of my limiting thoughts about myself, wherever they came from, from being a woman or from, you know, our training that tells you, you have to be a certain way. It's just sort of, um, I kind of totally just lost my train of thought, Kristen. That's no, that's perfect. I, <laughs> I, I think even just ask me, <laughs> I think what, what that intersection of like, I want to decide, like, I want to make the decision, but it feels weird the first time I make it like the first time that you say like, I'm a diamond, there's a little part of you that's like, but are you? You know, like there's that little voice. And I think that I love that you brought up the patriarchy because I like am seeing this more and more, especially because like you, I coach predominantly women and there's so much of that and it's so subtle. And even for myself and for my daughters, I'm seeing that now, like through that lens, because there is certainly something just about how boys and girls are spoken to that for sure has to do with that. Like the reason that and I'm making generalizations about gender for sure, but in general, men will apply for a job. If they're like 30% qualified for it. Like yeah. there are studies on this. You've probably seen them and women, if they're not like 110% qualified for something, they're like, Oh, I'm not going to bother. And that's for sure is ingrained in us from childhood. And I think it's women who are coming out and just saying like, I get to decide what the rules are and I can do whatever I want. The more that we do that and, and show other women that we're doing it and like putting ourselves out there, I think it's just going to continue to be like this tide of more women being willing to do it. You know? Yeah. It makes me think of like when we're negotiating, let's say we go to a negotiation and we decide, okay, I think I'm worth this. And so I show up to the negotiation and I ask for this and they say, no, And what I notice sometimes is then people come away and they're like, I guess I wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm not worth that. Who did I think I was to ask for that instead of like, all right, I asked this time (laughs) I'm still worth it. What do I have to do? What am I going to ask for the next time? When am I going to ask again? Like we just are very quick to decide that we have failed at something Mm -hmm. rather than getting a first no. And then being like, all right, now, how do I like, now, what do I, what do I do? Yeah. You just want to go hide. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think that there is that there's some intolerance there with hearing no. And mm-hmm. the only reason is that we make it mean something about us inherently. But if we didn't attach that meaning to no, then just imagine all of the things that you would do. It really is just looking back at my journey in the last three years, it's like I did a lot of things because the more and more that I detach myself from the meaning of no, it's like sets you free to the, I can do anything then. Cause if the worst thing they can say is no, then big deal. Like I'll just ask someone else or, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's like why it's so important to get comfortable with failure, (laughs) which Uh is like anathema to us, but it's like, if you fail and then you don't die and then you fail again, you're not afraid to do it. It just creates so much more 
such a bigger life and so much more opportunity. I'm now I'm thinking back to like another situation at a job where I, I was interested in a role and I said something to the person in authority and they said to me something like, you think you could do that job? Mm. <laughs> it, was like that. it was a white man, of course. And I was so taken aback, right? I was like, oh my gosh, he doesn't think I can, that I just like ran away. I was like, I just ran and hit. I just mm-hmm. got off that call as soon as I could. And when I think about it now, I'm like, why didn't I say, yeah, I think I could do it. And this is why, right? Like, oh, what a wonderful opportunity to showcase me instead of to see myself through someone else's eyes and accept that as like reality. Yeah. And I I bet there's so many women who have circumstances just like that, or maybe that are even more subtle that looking back, they're like, oh, why did I trust that opinion? And I think it's important that when we can reflect back on those circumstances to see those as opportunities for the ability to recognize that position in the future, instead of realize, instead of, instead of using it to make ourselves right. feel even smaller. Yes. Like that one time he said this bad thing about me. And for the next 10 years, I'm going to internalize and believe I'm yeah. to do that role. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. we're so sensitive to other people's thoughts about us. Sometimes they, we listen to them more than our own. Yeah. Exactly. And why it's so crazy because, and I have to, I have to think that the medical training kind of, um, accelerates that process for us because so much of becoming a doctor does really, we rely on learning knowledge from external sources about, you know, drugs and pharmaceutical pharmacy and, um, anatomy and physiology. Like we do, we are required to learn something from external sources for so long. And then residency is all about learning to, learning to clinically practice medicine, but then relying on someone to give you feedback that yes or no, that was the right thing to do. And I think that unfortunately reinforces this, this pattern that we can't be trusted and we always need need to be seeking external um, validation to prove that what we know is right, but that's not really how life works in general. Like I think medicine is very specific and medical training is very specific. Like that's not how you're supposed to practice medicine forever. You know, that's why it's called the art of medicine. Like you don't then just read books forever. Like you're then learning based on your own experience and your own feeling about things, how to do, how to do stuff, you know? And you're not encouraged to like I just bring you back to my residency and sitting in morning report. And it was like, these two men were like the, the people, the, the attendings and you're sitting with your peers, but you're just like waiting to be humiliated, like mm-hmm. waiting for them to like poke holes in what you say. And it just was not, it was terrifying to me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like all your worst fears realized, like, what would it be like if it felt like everyone was there to, you know, to learn in a, kind, supportive way where failure is just part of it. Right. Right. And I think of course that the, what, what doctors always say is that, well, sometimes failure is actually life and death. Right. And of course, like as physicians, of course that's true, but I think what we tend to do and what I did certainly is I made that narrative me was like a global narrative for my life. Like failure is life and death was not just about certain emergencies, you know, like someone hemorrhaging or something like that in the field that I am in. But I then made it mean that failure in life 
could kill me or someone else. And I think that globalization of that thought is what's very pervasive among doctors today and what keeps them limited in their ability to enjoy life and actually create a life that they want. Tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're turning it on me. Isn't it? <laughs> so, so what if you had a thought, for example, like my, my thought now about failure, failure is that like failure is just like, there is no failure. Like I can't fail. Everything is a learning opportunity, right? Like I think yeah. that is coaches, we love that. So if instead, like, if that's my narrative about failure, quote unquote failure, everything is a learning opportunity, then it's easier. I've lowered the bar now to try new things, to put myself out there. And even in my job as a physician, it doesn't make me less safe as a physician. It just makes me um, not beat the crap out of myself for a less than perfect day. You know what I mean? So I think that we assume that because if we, we must think that failure is life and death because that's what keeps us safe. And I think that's a bunch of bullshit actually. Well, it's actually the opposite, right? So yeah, it's like in reality, do we want to fail with a patient and then they die? No. Right. <laughs> but in reality, when we're so worried about failing the patient or being perceived as a failure in medicine that we don't ask the person ahead of us if they're sure that what they're doing is the right thing, or we don't question, or we like, it's that fear of failure that probably makes us more likely to make a mistake and actually fail. 100%. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's so fascinating. How many times in coaching, the thing you don't want is what creates like trying to avoid something is what makes you inevitably like create that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's like, really I don't want them to think I'm dumb. So I'm just not going to say anything ever. And yeah. then what are they going to think about you? <laughs> exactly. Like I'm never going to ask, I'm never going to speak. I'm going to ask their opinion. And then ultimately I come like across as don't right. know anything. Or like, I don't want to be perceived as weak. So I'm never going to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And then I'm constantly overwhelmed and look like I'm like drop, you know, just floundering. Right. <laughs> it's right. so true. It's yeah. so true. Or there's this, you know, you could use it with anything, right? Like I don't want to have a complication. And then that probably produces a feeling of fear or yeah. being timid. And then ultimately you're never putting yourself out there to get more experience to learn. And then you increase the likelihood that you'll have a complication because you're not willing to have get experience that you need to improve your skills. Yeah. So there's a lot of examples like, of that. Living to avoid failure is impossible. Yeah. And then just like you create such a narrow zone for yourself yes. in all, in all spheres. Yeah. <laughs> that's really true. So do you mind talking a little bit about what brought you to coaching and that transition, uh, you know, from being a full-time physician to what you're doing now? Sure. Well, I, you know, like everyone else started listening to a podcast. <laughs> Maybe it was yours, but I, I came across Katrina Ubel's podcast on PMG. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was fascinating. And so these coaching principles were really interesting to me. And they definitely helped me so much in my personal life when I was experiencing a lot of insecurity and worthiness stuff. And this was when I had left my primary care practice because of burnout and was still trying to decide like what what am I going to do now within medicine? And so I ended mm -hmm. up going into virtual care. But so I learned the principles then, 
and they were super helpful to me. I don't, I thought sort of maybe one day I'd like to be a coach, but it really, cause I, I love to support other women. And I, I, uh, like I realized in looking back, like my residency, I thought I wanted to be the chief resident and I was not chosen to be the chief resident, but what I actually realized I wanted to be, was like the chief coach. Which mm. <laughs> um, but it wasn't so, you know, um, the pandemic hit and I was in a situation where I wasn't so happy with my job and I was trying to interview for new jobs and I was finding a lot of these negative feelings were coming out and I thought I need professional help managing mm-hmm. these emotions. And I fell into a coaching program that you also did. Um, and at that point I just found it so helpful to apply the principles that I wanted to learn more about them. So I decided to certify for myself so I could use the principles to help my life even more. Um, but it was also the same time that the, you know, that the pandemic hit and I, to make a long story long, was in an advocacy group, a nonprofit, like we started an advocacy group to try to increase protections for providers, to try to get our governor to shut down the state. This was super early in the pandemic. I just wanted to help other physicians mm-hmm. um, because I was not on the front line. I wasn't getting exposed to anything and I felt like I need to do more. So I did that for a while. Um, and then the, the nonprofit got kind of big and a little unwieldy and I... I just already felt like I have these tools that would be helpful to so many doctors who are burning out on the front lines. Like I'm going to just offer that to my state Facebook group of women physicians. That was October, 2020. I just said like, Hey, I'm, I'm training to be a coach. If anyone like coaching, like I'm happy to try to help some people. And there were 60 women who said they wanted Hmm. coaching. So that month, I think I coached 40 women and that's how I started my business. And I, I just loved it. I loved how useful the tools are. And, and then the, a full year later, I stepped down from my role and just decided to do this full time. That was just this past September. That's so exciting. That's really great. And of course the, the ripple effect of you doing that is I'm sure amazing. Like with all the women that you're helping and to really step into their you know, their power as, as physicians. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, it's just like, I think about my coach and then the impact she had on me, yeah. how much she helped me. And then I help my coaches and then like they go back into their work situations mm-hmm. and they are able to humanize and like help the people they work with. And some of them even have become coaches. So you're right. It's like this big ripple effect mm-hmm. where you just one, one person changing the way they think can change so many others experiences. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds so yeah. cheesy. But it's really true. But it's true. Like, yeah. Oh, I was at work the other day and my coworker was complaining about how much they hate the administration. She's like, and I just said to that, you know, I just like explained a coaching principle and you know, then they're on their way. It's very tempting to want to coach everybody once you know. Yeah. <laughs> you oh know. my gosh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time. Do you mind just telling people where they can find you? Sure. Um, so right now my website is www.karenleitnermd.com. Um, and that's where they can find me. Okay. And same, same name on Instagram, right? Same, same handle on Instagram. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great chatting. Yeah, it was great. Hey there. Just wanted to take some quick time here to let you know that if you have been thinking about doing a podcast and it feels really overwhelming and you like the idea of podcasting, but the other stuff like the editing and production feels too overwhelming, I wanted to let you know about the people who now edit and produce my podcast, which is Pretty Easy Podcasts. And 
for the first year and a half of my podcast, I was doing everything myself and I had tried to contract out editing and it was really got some really, really bad (laughs) results. So I was hesitant to try again, but I'm so glad that I did because working with pretty easy podcasts has been so amazing. They can get your shows recorded, posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. You could record from home, your office or the park or really anywhere. And then they totally cater to your schedule and It's just so easy to work with them. I cannot say enough good things. So if it's been on your mind to do a podcast, then definitely check out Pretty Easy Podcast at prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. It's super affordable and it's so fun working with them. So definitely check it out. (music) 